So welcome to the BGSM podcast, Richard. Uh, hi there. Thank you very much, Stefan, for having me. Not at all. So what I'm going to ask you to do, Richard, is do you mind introducing yourself to the listeners, if that's all right? Yep, sure. Um, my name's uh, Richard Wheeler. I'm a consultant um, in sport and exercise medicine. Um, like many people that do what I do, I've got a portfolio of jobs um, in in sport, ranging through professional football. Um, uh, I've done uh, work with Paralympic athletes for many, many years, um, and held various um, various different roles at the um, at the football association within para football um, for, for for a long time. Um, and um, my background is in general practice before uh, sports medicine, um, and I am currently uh, doing a PhD at the FU in uh, Amsterdam uh, on uh, parasports injuries. What we're going to talk about today is concussion, but probably in a slightly different context to what most people will be familiar with. So let's start with concussion in disability sport, disability football in general. Is it a big issue? Um, uh, it is a big issue. Um, uh, it's a big issue for me, um, and I suppose born out of my own ineptness um, uh, over the years, uh, knowing quite what to do when faced with an athlete um, uh, with a head injury um, in, in parasport. Um, and uh, born out of that was a desire to, to try and do something um, to, help, to help people in that situation um, and to help make sport safer and to help the athletes um, uh, give them a, a standard of medical care that, that's, that, that's better and improved. Um, and I suppose, um, yeah, I suppose it all started um, probably about 10 years ago um, when I first started to, to see these injuries um, when I was younger and more wet behind the ears. Uh, and, and I started to question quite how to apply um, what I've been taught um, and what I'd learned about um, the concussion guidance. Uh, and the more, the more, the more I've learned, the more I've seen them, um, the more I questioned it um, until I got to the point where I, I guess I was brave enough to, um, to try and do something about it. Um, uh, and uh, um, with the help of, uh, with the help of my, my PhD supervisor, um, Efet Fahagen uh, and uh, friend and colleague uh, Osman Ahmed um, who also has um, uh, uh, who has a PhD in concussion and knowledge translation um, uh, and is an outstanding physiotherapist we um, we hatched this plan many many years ago um, uh, and brought together um, the rock stars of um, some rock stars from from the world of para sport um, and sports medicine a multidisciplinary team of experts who invited onto a group uh, and formed the group um, to to try and yeah to try and write this paper. And talking of said paper, why now? I guess there's no time like the present. Um, there are lots of studies that have been done um, in in the past that have shown that um, head injuries um, and concussions uh, are present in para sport. Um, the most common. Most common sports, um, if you look at the um, uh, Paralympic um, summer and winter injury, uh, injury and illness surveillance studies, um, some of the highest um, rates of head injury are in um, blind football, which is five blind football, five-a-side football, para-alpine skiing, para-ice hockey and para-snowboard. And so we know that we know there's a problem out there. Um, uh, and there are a few studies that we've done, one which... One which you did, which um, uh, um, uh, uh, we we wrote in 2015, where we looked at um, clinicians' knowledge um, around um, uh, concussion, 
uh, and problems that they faced um, when managing concussions in the 2015 Cerebral Palsy Football World Championships. Uh, and, and in that study, we found, uh, uh, we found problems. So, so we know that there were issues there. Um, and there are plenty of studies that demonstrate the issues. Um, but the concussion in sport um, uh, group guidelines, um, which are held every four years, um, are very much based upon the evidence um, uh, and they start with a very thorough um, literature review and um, with their consensus group and have processes and procedures to, to, to decipher that and come to, um, to come to their consensus. But because there's a very little research within para uh, sport on concussions, um, it's very difficult to include um, para concussions within that group. And that said, we've got later on this year, we've got the um, hopefully the... Um, the Paralympics taking place um, in Tokyo, um, a year delayed because of COVID. And it's, uh, it's still very important. We still have athletes that are competing um, who are likely may well sustain a head injury. And I don't think we can wait for the evidence to be generated because it's just too long to wait. So um, hence we brought, we brought a group together of experts um, to try and lock us all. Well, we hoped to originally to lock us all in a room, but we ended up doing a, a virtual um, consensus meeting um, to lock us all in a room um, uh, and, and, and thrash out some guidelines to help clinicians that are trying to manage um, para-athletes um, with head injuries. Um, because I don't think it's right or fair to keep waiting because we could be waiting for, for a great many years before the evidence is there to be able to do a formal consensus paper on this. So, um, yeah, we just took the ball by the horns and, 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 and worked through it. And for listeners who might not have worked in para sport, um, are some of these differences and, and the things that you recognise, are they to do with the potentially inherent differences between uh, able-bodied athletes and para, especially, you know, athletes with cerebral palsy? Was there a need because of, of clinical kind of differences or was some of the differences around maybe some of the service provision available to the athlete who might not be always existing in, a, in an elite sport setting? Um, yeah, um, a good question. Um, uh, probably all of the above. Um, I think. Um, I think first and foremost, um, the um, um, the world of Paralympic sport and para sport um, uh, is huge. Uh, there are hugely variable um, impairments that the athletes have, and um, you just have to work your way through some of the classification um, rules to be able to understand the complexities and every. Um, Every athlete um, has their own impairments, and I prefer focusing on their abilities. But um, uh, when it when it comes to when it comes to concussion and assessment for concussion, you are looking for additional impairments based on normal function. But the problem with para athletes is that they're, they're like all athletes is that they're all individual, um, but their their differences are hugely hugely variable. And knowing what's baseline, knowing whether or not there are changes, knowing whether or not you can whether or not if you adapt the existing concussion uh, expert group guidelines, whether or not if you adapt them, whether or not they remain valid. Um, there's just so many questions. Um, understanding, being able to recognise a concussion. So um, even looking at the basics is, you know, um, if, if someone has a blank look on their face, well, if you, you may always have a blank look on your face if you have a condition that affects the muscles of your face or if you can't see. Um, um, being able to do balance tests if you've got a spinal cord injury and are in a wheelchair, um, being able to read some of the questions that are expected, being able to do it you know, on field. Can you do a Glasgow coma scale um, if you're 
got a spinal cord injury and uh, someone asks you ask you to move your legs there there are so many different challenges and complexities that you 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 end up scratching your head um and in addition you mentioned yeah there are very very different um levels i guess like um i guess like um all sport um ranging there, there are different levels of um uh, of resources available be it um uh, be it um medical experts or, or clinicians um to support athletes within their teams at different levels of of the game uh, and that there are as well fewer um fewer paralympic athletes because of the classification groups um, than there are in in most other sports for for non-para athletes uh, and so it's it's just really complex um, uh, and, and, and with this paper, we tried to really break it down um, uh, and, and make make something that was practical, usable, and a, and a guide for people trying to apply the existing concussion guidelines for taking note of all of the above and all those complexities. For anyone who's going to work in Parasport in the future, this is evidently going to be an absolute kind of key reference text. Um, we've flirted with what's going to be in the paper. Um, the listeners are probably now waiting for me to ask what's actually in the paper. What are some? So let's say that I'm covering a, an event on the weekend um, in like a parasport event. What are the few things that I'm going to want to take away from the paper um, that are going to influence my my care on the weekend? Um, one, one of the key outputs of the paper is um, is unfortunately hidden away in a rather large um, uh, appendix uh, and su- on- online supplementation material, where we've um, we've created for um, for each of the um, uh, major um, para sport impairment groups, um, we've basically created um, a, a tool sheet um, that can be used. Um, alongside the SCAT-5 uh, Sport Concussion Assessment Tool, the fifth iteration, which is the last one from the 2017 paper from the Concussion in Sport group that can be used alongside that for each different impairment group to guide the user on which questions may or may not be applicable and then to try and guide the user on how to interpret that. Uh, And... In essence, there are certain aspects, as I've touched on just before, there are certain aspects that where, where for certain impairment groups, some questions may not be relevant at all. And we've color coded them in red, like on a traffic light system. There are some elements that depending on the degree of uh, the athlete's impairment um, specific to that question, um, there may be issues, in which case we've, we've, we've labeled it yellow or amber um, just to, uh, and, and green. Um, uh, and the questions are, are, are highlighted in green where, 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 where there's no, we don't expect there to be any issue at all. And the problem is, is if you start, if you start knocking out questions from the SCAT-5, you don't actually know how applicable the results are. Um, we make reference as well in the paper that's very important to, um, to, to, to the clinical assessments and how to apply the tool. But um, um, equally, it, it's very important baseline um, uh, baseline testing we feel is even more important within for, for para athletes than it is for any other athlete because um, because we know that there are differences in baseline scores between different impairment groups which makes them probably which makes the tools less valid but then it's far more important you have a baseline with a para athlete especially if you don't know that athlete as well as you 
might want to know that athlete so that you can make a clinical decision. And, and, and I think the bottom line is, is that we, we, we very much in the paper are on the side of caution when interpreting the results. Um, uh, and, and, and I think that's, a, again, a very important message is that if you're not sure, you ought to be taking longer with the athlete and you ought to be more cautious. We, we, we refer in the paper to sort of lots of different examples within that um, of, of, of issues and problems. Perfect. And, and evidently we're recording this before the paper is out. I know, you, I know you've got the proofs right in front of you here. Um, so what we'll do is once the paper is online, we can make sure that we obviously sign up to the paper itself. But obviously some of the we'll make sure that the supplementary um, material is easily downloadable. Um, I'm sure we can try and put that on the BGSM blog site as well so that we have got a, you know, an easily accessible guide for clinicians to use on weekends. Um, this is you coming to the end of your of your PhD now. What are the next steps uh, for you, kind of you in this research area? What do you where do you see research going in the next five, maybe even ten years? Well, the the, the group that we've um, the group that we put together, um, uh, um, uh, the, the group that we've pulled together um, is going to carry on um, existing and working together, and we're already collaborating on um, consensus papers and other little bits of research and projects um, where people are interested. Um, and we see we see this continuing. There's a huge amount of work that still needs, needs to take place because, like I said, there's a real positive evidence. Um, um, we need more funding um, within uh, within the world of para sport um, for research, um, so that we can learn more um, uh, and, and and do more to make the sport safer. Um, I guess it's the injury prevention cycle um, that's very important. Uh, and it's uh, it's very exciting. I've, I've also been a small cog on a big machine um, with Professor Derm and uh, Marilise Badenhorst, um, who have pulled together um, uh, uh, an, um, uh, an IOC translation uh, for um, standards of reporting in um, parasport uh, injury and illness, adapting the IOC, the recent IOC um, standards for reporting. And so that will be very exciting too, because I think that future researchers in the field um, will unlike me, have the benefit of that paper to be able to improve the quality of injury surveillance studies so that we can begin the process of injury prevention. Um, I mean, the, the, the options, it, it's endless. There is so little research that is out there um, of better quality in parasport that for any budding researchers, um, it's, it's the, the, the opportunity to make a big difference is, is massive. I should have mentioned uh, as well that there, it, within the final um, uh, final section of our paper, after we if we talk about assessment and we talk about return to sport and some of the challenges in return to sport and users clinicians can work through, we've got a table on uh, within the return to sport um, guidance to be able to help um, to be able to be able to help users as well. For example, if you're going to completely rest and you're in a um, uh, and you're in a wheelchair, it's very difficult to do your first 24 to 48 hours of cognitive and physical rest. So you might need assistance with with transfers and and, and things like that. Or if you have, um, you may need extra extra care support potentially, um, just to keep an eye on you. But one of the important things that we um, that that we want to focus on is prevention, and we mentioned this in the final section of the paper. And really, we touch on the three E's of injury prevention, which are education enforcement uh, and sort of the environment equipment um, um, those sorts of things 
And um, we touch on all of those. And I, I think knowledge transfer is absolutely important for um, clinicians working in para-sport um, uh, because we've shown before um, in a few studies um, that, that, that knowledge and understanding of concussion is, 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 is um, I don't know how to phrase this, not what it could be. Perhaps we, should, we might say it could be better. Um, and so, and I think that knowledge transfer is something that's really, really important across all aspects of concussion. So it's not unique to para sport. And then we've got rule changes, which are really important. So there are a few exciting rule changes that have taken place and are taking place. So um, the, the um, International Paralympic Medical Committee uh, noticed that in the 2014 Paralympic Games in Sochi in Russia, um, there were high numbers of uh, injuries in para-alpine skiing. And so they, they made some changes for the 2018 uh, game, uh, winter, Paralympic Winter Games in Pyeongchang, where they, 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 they adjusted some of the slope settings, they, they made a few more training runs, and they had real-time interaction at the time of the races between the medical team and the sports officials, so that um, so they were able to care for athletes and injuries and, and head injuries much, much better. Um, uh, and, and I think examples like that are very exciting. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Ahmed has um, uh, recently been working with the Cerebral Palsy Football International um, Organization to create concussion substitutions for suspected concussions. And I think that was the first um, that came in before, um, before the rest of the football world. And that's very exciting, too, to be able to provide more time for the athletes and um, uh, not change the game so much. Um, that was that was decided by by all all the stakeholders involved to get to get processed, and we're very much hoping um, that um, visually impaired football, uh, so blind football and sport for partially sighted athletes, um, will also um, have similar rule changes allowing for temporary concussion substitutions. And the exciting thing is is that now 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 the clinicians that are at pitch side um, uh, and looking after these athletes now with this paper they're going to have a they're going to have a guide that will, will help them assess those athletes um, and know how to manage them afterwards. And then we've also got equipment. So in, in blind football, a lot of the athletes were um, um, uh, to, to ensure an even playing field, they all wear um, uh, uh, face masks um, or blindfolds uh, and various, um, various mini studies have been done to, to adapt the material to see if um, more padded material might provide protection uh, and also um, and also there's a um, uh, there's a study using um, uh, they've, they've been trying to get a study underway um, with Professor Webborn uh, Nick Webborn to, um, to to assess uh, impact um, uh, through through head injuries within blind football through the use of the mouth guards that are being studied elsewhere these are the sorts of areas that uh, that we can work on. I think that's a really nice uh, place to end this podcast. And I know it's a, it's obviously a hugely, you're hugely passionate about this subject area. And I think, you know, from what you've said there, it's really clear for listeners to see just how progressive the medical aspect of para sport is and the amount of difference that passionate people, passionate and really skilled people like yourself can make in this area. So I know that, you know, if people want to get involved with you, they can, I'm sure, find your your email, the likes of Dr. Ahmed, Osman Ahmed's email, and I know Oz is on, um, is on Twitter as well. So Richard, really appreciate your time and know how busy you are. Can I please just say a massive thank you? Um, take the opportunity to say a massive thank you to everyone that's um, uh, all my, and my colleagues and all the brain boxes and uh, superstars that helped um, with this study. 
uh, and help support this study and 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 help me and my the team to write it. I'm I'm absolutely nothing without everybody that's helped me um, uh, along the way. Um, uh, and I just really want to thank everybody for their contributions. It's um it's it's really very exciting. Mm-hmm.